0: How can we, as creative educators and entrepreneurs, find our authentic voice, get real in a world where real is hard to come by, and share our vision, all while making some serious money and keeping it all balanced? Hey, it's Alyssa with the Teacher Hustle Podcast. I'm a teacher, mom to three toddlers, self-proclaimed French fry connoisseur, and a marketing and launch strategist to teachers. I'm answering all your burning questions about starting and growing an online business using your teacher genius. In these podcast meets magazine style episodes, I'll give you simple mindset shifts, business tips, and inspiration to help you turn your passion into an income that makes an impact without being overly complicated. You know that one thing you can't stop talking about? We're going to share it with the world. So grab a cup of coffee and let's bring your wildest ideas to life. For Today's podcast interview, I'm actually interviewing myself. I thought for January, it might be nice to just take a pause and reflect on some of the questions I got over the past year to make sure that you have all the answers you're looking for and just also to have a little fun. So I asked in my Instagram stories, And I asked in the Facebook group uh, for Teacher House University if anyone had any questions they would like me to answer on today's podcast. And I have a whole bunch of good ones ranging from food to kids to business to strategy. So I hope you enjoy this self-conducted interview. Okay, the first question comes from the Facebook group. The question is, you've been in business for a while. Do you still have moments and days when you want to quit or walk away or wonder why you do this, and then how do you get past those? So I definitely, I would be lying if I told you I didn't have these moments. I don't think there are any moments where I want to quit or walk away because I really love what I do um, with my online business, but there are definitely moments where I wonder, like, what in the world am I doing, and why did I choose such a, like, quote, air quotes, not normal path um, to using my skills. And, you know, I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was a little kid. My mom was a teacher, and it was really the only path I saw myself taking. But I always knew, I really, I say this, and I know it sounds kind of corny, but I really always knew I would be doing something beyond the classroom. I just couldn't wrap my brain around what that would look like. And when I was in high school, there certainly when you went to the guidance counselor to talk about what you wanted to do when you grow up, like there weren't a lot of options. So, you know, they were talking about sort of those traditional roles. And now there are so many roles beyond traditional to use your same skill set. And I just feel like I have found my way into one. So sometimes I do doubt myself because it's not this traditional path that I originally saw myself taking, but then I remind myself that it's pretty stinking awesome. And then there are also times with the kids, of course, where I'm like, what am I doing trying to work with three kids? Like, this is crazy, and uh, maybe I should just, you know, focus on being more present with them. I try to work during nap times at night, and then I have a little bit of help from my mom and a nanny, um, like a few afternoons a week, and my kids go to preschool. So there are pockets of time where I'm working and the kids are here and wanting my attention and in those moments I'm always thinking you know is this the right thing like should I be working right now I'm really technically still on maternity leave so I should be focusing on my kids right like there's that guilt that guilt that settles in but then I realize I'm showing them what it looks like to follow my dreams and my passions and I'm making big change in the world, just in a a different sort of a way. So anyway, I managed to talk myself out of those moments, but they pop up, right? It's like a weed. So you have to just keep cutting it down over and over and over again. There is no one who went on any path in life and didn't wonder what they were doing or have moments where they wanted to walk away or kind of wondered why they did that. So just you've got to be able to kind of push yourself through. The next question is, who are some of your business idols or mentors? And you all already know because I have featured them on the podcast this season. That was my goal was to bring you my mentors this season. And so uh, probably who had the biggest influence on me in 2021 was Amber Williams. I interviewed her a few months ago on the podcast. I actually started working for Amber in September of 2021, I believe. And um she's a brand strategist for beauty entrepreneurs. So when you go to Target and you buy a bottle of shampoo and you look at the words on the shampoo, very likely one of her clients like is the owner or founder of that business and she may have written the words on the shampoo bottle, right? Like she is all about words and brand strategy. Um, And so Amber just taught, I don't even know where to begin. She taught me so much. But the first thing she taught me was about flawless execution. She told me when I interviewed with her that she believed that uh, she wouldn't put anything out into the world unless it was a cut above. That was one of her main values of her company. And I didn't really understand what that meant, a cut above, until she pushed back on a lot of things because they weren't a cut above. So, for example, if we were going to send out an email, Amber would make sure that that email was absolutely flawless before it went out, meaning the links worked, things were spaced appropriately, the formatting was spot on, the graphics were the right size and on brand. Everything had to be flawless, checked, -checked, -checked. double-checked, triple-checked. She wanted you to kind of let it sit for a minute and then go back to it and reread it. And I am kind of a fast worker and just quick to do things and and quick to get things done. And I often miss little details like that. And she really pushed and challenged me to pay attention and pay closer attention to what I'm putting out into the world. And rather than trying to put out a lot into the world, put out fewer things, but do them well. And that's something I will never forget. And um, she also that also applied with her and word choice. So when she is putting out a post or an email or writing a sales page, she waits until she has the exact right words to describe the idea that she has in her head. And that has been a skill that I am absolutely leaning on in my business and something that I'm so lucky that I developed through working with her. And I will always kind of hold on to that. And I've appreciated the opportunity to practice that with her. And then she just taught me a lot about being on a team and being a leader and, you know, reflecting on what you're doing in business, stopping to reflect and not just pushing onward. And I will hold on to all of those values going forward in my own business. And then, of course, I interviewed Megan Hale. She's amazing too. She's taught me so much about honoring my energy in business, setting boundaries, but also being really strategic with my time and strategic with my income, making sure that income is balanced across the year and not just coming in in spurts. She's really strategic with mapping out your money, and that's been really helpful. Okay. The next question is, when did you have your aha moment that this business was more than just a hustle? Um, this is interesting. So I never really thought of my business as a side hustle. I, I started my TPT store in, oh gosh, I think like 2010. I don't know. Whenever TPT, when did TPT start? It was a long time ago. I started posting, um, Things that I made for my own classroom, right? The way everybody starts on TPT, and I really didn't like creating resources. I've got a crying kid. Pause, please. Okay, I'm back. I refuse to edit that out and re-record because I don't have time. This is what we're. This is what it's like to work at home with kids. Anyway, um, so I had had items in my TBT store for that long and I but I, I never really enjoyed creating resources necessarily. I loved coming up with the ideas, but I didn't like sitting and fiddling around with um PowerPoint. So I uploaded them slowly and I, I guess at that point I considered it kind of like a side hustle and it um was making me consistent income so it was kind of a nice little thing to have on the side and that was that. But when I decided to come into the online space and talk about marketing, I I never thought of that as really like a side hustle. I always knew that my goal was to make enough money to be able to stay home on maternity leave unpaid. And so I needed to match my teaching salary. And that was my goal from the get go. And I think that was one of the better choices I made in business. Of course, I knew to do that because I had just uh, closed down the store that I owned with my sister. So I I knew a lot about business and marketing and I knew there was no way to go into this with half of the mindset i needed to make it work. So i pushed myself and building a business in the beginning stages is hard and it means late nights and working especially if you're still teaching full time working during any moment where you can find to work to build your business up, but that is the way when any business is just starting out is is building with purpose and intention so that you can hit the goals you need to hit. And so i guess in that way um i never really thought of it as anything other than a side hustle. I mean, anything other than a full time hustle. Also, not editing that out. The next question is Do you get imposter syndrome and what do you do when it pops up? If I'm being really truthful, I really don't get imposter syndrome when it comes to marketing. It's something that I just like naturally understand really well and always have. So I don't ever feel like I'll give marketing advice that people won't, um, like, I guess to me, imposter syndrome is, when you sort of feel that people won't want to listen to you or won't find value in what you're saying. And I feel like what I I know what I'm saying is of value. So I don't get imposter syndrome about that. What I guess I, I do get stuck in as far as mindset is how do I distinguish myself? So I get frustrated when I see a lot of marketing gurus out there kind of like throwing stuff out at people. And then I see people receiving it and trying to do it and it not working and then I think well how am I going to let them know that this is different and not just like what they're used to hearing so I tried using the word innovative to describe myself but then of course that word gets overdone too so it's about finding the right words to describe what is the value I bring on my perspective around marketing so helping me kind of like Constantly redefining my value, I would say, is what pops up for me. It's like figuring out a new way to talk about what I do in a way that will help the right people connect. Um, But when I get stuck in any kind of a rut, whether it's imposter syndrome or whatever else... um, What I do always is just take a break and go serve the people that are already paying for my products and offers because it just makes me feel good. It's good business practice and it helps to remind me of my value when I see that they are having success. So I would encourage you if you have imposter syndrome or any other mindset issue, go serve your people and you will immediately see what they need, be better tuned into them and be able to respond accordingly. Some of these questions are really making me think. This next question is, will you do this forever? Meaning, will you always have this online business? I have no idea. I sort of feel like because I'm, uh, older that I'll be irrelevant. I see, you know, young and cool people talking about marketing and I'm like, is there going to come up time where people are just not interested in me because I'm not relevant? And, I don't, I don't know, because my people are also, I feel like, my favorite people are fine with that. Like, they're fine that I'm awkward, they're fine that I like 90s hip-hop, they're fine that I don't know about, like, the latest and greatest, like, cool thing to say. I don't even know, do people even say cool? I don't even know, but, um... Anyway, I don't know, but I will definitely be in. I definitely see foresee myself working in the online space forever because I love. I just love business and marketing. I feel like my skill set is developing, and so no matter what, I see myself working somewhere in this whole online world. Maybe I'll work in the metaverse. Who knows? Um, I did I did just start a, a brand new arm to my business that I'm going to be talking about and kind of revealing in next month's podcast episode, so be sure to tune in and find out more about what's coming up next. It's hugely exciting, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Okay, next question. Why do you love marketing? I love this. Why do I love marketing? It's so weird. What a weird thing to love. I don't know. I have always... It, it kind of runs in my family. My dad is a... um Kind of in marketing. My grandfather owned a furniture store and really was a, a big salesperson. And I'm not, I don't consider myself necessarily like a salesperson. I don't love to show up and sell things. I, I guess I love to sell just as much as the next guy, right? Like I don't really love it, but I do understand it really well. I understand the psychology behind business and marketing. And I kind of always have been really interested in that just the same way that people are interested in like, Um, human behavior, right? It's it's really the psychology. I think that's the part that I, I love. I love figuring out ways to make marketing more authentic and make connections authentically to answer the call to what people need to come up with a new solution for people to solve problems. I love the challenge. I guess it's not just marketing, it's business and marketing, right? I love the idea of solving a problem and then getting your solution out to the right people. I love tuning in and listening to what people need to really hear those ideas and observe. I don't know, it's kind of nerdy, but I love it. Next question. What would you tell the teacher who feels like they aren't enough to bring their business or product idea to the world? And did you ever feel that way? I guess this kind of goes back to imposter syndrome. Um, so I have definitely felt this way, especially with my new project that I'm going to be talking about in the next podcast episode. This project, it goes beyond just regular online business and goes into some really complicated stuff. So at times I felt like in in building that arm of my business, and I'm I'm certainly not done building it, but I've definitely come up against some barriers that felt like they were mountains that I would never climb over, and just unknowns and hard things that I have yet to figure out. And I guess I felt that way when I was building this too. Like There were definitely moments where there were things that felt like oh this is a deal breaker like i can't go forward with my online business because there is this big thing in my way and i it's too hard for me to figure out you know the tech taxes legal all that stuff feels so hard and it feels like it's impossible to get through or that you'll mess it up or you'll do something wrong but the fact is that It's really not about being so smart and so savvy that you already know how to do all of these things and you can just plow right through them, no problem. It's about figuring it out. It's about putting in the time to get educated around things that you don't know about that you're not an expert in. And if something is so challenging for you that you really can't find your way through it and you're really feeling stuck, it's about finding the right person to help you, finding an expert that can walk you through it or, you know, at least guide you along the way. That's the key. There, There is no business that was ever easy it's simple. It's not, it's not complex, but it is hard and you're going to come up against things that feel hard. Um, but it's about just, it's not about being smarter or being smart enough or being good enough or anything like that. It's about figuring it out. Next question. How has your business helped your personal growth? This is like so, such a good question and also really hard to answer because you can't really grow in business without having personal growth. It's kind of impossible. I, before I had this business in, uh, in real life, in real life, I'm pretty quiet and introverted. So in meetings and things like that, I often, I like to listen and observe, like I said, first, and then really digest and think about my response and then respond. And when I would respond, it would be something that, you know, was worth listening to, but I was often hesitant to respond and would get kind of outrun by People in meetings that were more extroverted than I was. So certainly this business has helped me be a little more extroverted, ask for what I need. It's taught me to set boundaries so that I can have the space I need to grow and that space does equal growth. I, I could go on and on. I don't even know. It's so many, so many things. I feel like I was a different person when I started this business three years ago. Um, managing my time, being present, being purposeful, being intentional with my time, all of that stuff. You just can't do one without the other. And that's one of the best parts about having an online business that's really hard to explain, is that you start listening to podcasts instead of Spotify. You start... Um, you know, watching mentors instead of watching Netflix, you start reading business books instead of fiction books. And not to say that there's not a place for all those things, because there certainly is. But when you're building your business, there's this big push for growth. And you just you can't help but grow all the way around as a result. And it's just an amazing, incredible journey. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I feel really lucky that I've gone through it this is a good one about the classroom. What do you miss most about the classroom? And what do you love most about working on your business full time now? So to be clear, I'm still on maternity leave. So I still have the option of going back next year. I've not fully made that decision yet. But um, I miss the kids, obviously, fifth graders. I taught fifth grade for 13 years. They are the best. They're just really fun and funny. And I felt like they had the power to change the world. And I was just so proud of them. I would cry when they left in the, at the end of the school year. So I miss the kids, but I live in a small community and I still see a lot of them. Actually, one of my former students is who is my nanny now and helping me out. So it, it you know, they're still around and I still have those connections, but I definitely miss the kids. And I miss my work bestie, Kate. If you if you watched my Instagram when I first started out, Kate and I used to do a little segment on my Instagram stories that we called Coffee Talk all the time, and I miss having coffee talk, but actually, she lives across the street from me, so I still see her a lot, and not quite as much as I did when her door was connected to my classroom. But everything else I stinking love about this business, like I was truly meant to sit in my home office behind a computer in my pajamas with my coffee and my candle and my and my Spotify playlist running, like it's just my happy place. I love working behind the computer. I love writing. I love creating. It's, it feels like an art form and a creative outlet. And I just absolutely love it. Love, love, love. Uh, what do you do when you get burned out in your business and have you felt burned out in your business? And then what did you do? And the answer to this is yes, 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 absolutely. Yes. Definitely have felt burnt out at times. um, And so I just set boundaries and I will take breaks. I can feel when that burned out feeling is coming and I just try to get whatever I need to do to get kind of like, keep my business going, right? Like serve my people, make sure they have what they need, make sure they're feeling supported. And then I turn the business off and I go watch Netflix and I or I go take a, you know, like I go hang out with my friend or my sister and I just, I take a break. It's, you just have to take breaks. You have to. You, and it's in those breaks and in those spacious moments that you get the clarity you need to move forward through the burnout. And usually, often the clarity is like, I don't need to be doing this thing or there is something I can cut off out of this and still be successful. And um, so, Coach Laura, who I also interviewed on the podcast, um, who works on Team THU reminds me about this a lot. She reminds me to drink my water. She reminds me to move my body, to get up and take a lunch break. Um, and she also reminds me that when I'm feeling burned out, it's time to take a, even a, you know, even a couple days off from your business if that's what you need, or a week or two, whatever. The thing about having an online business is it'll be here when you get back. It's not gonna, the whole thing's not gonna shut down because you took a couple weeks off. That's one of the best parts about having an online business. So, it'll be just fine. Your business will still make you money. You are developing passive income streams, and that is the point of them, right? But they're not passive if you're constantly pushing yourself to the max. Okay, strategy question. What's more important, followers or engagement? You know my answer to this. Definitely, definitely, definitely engagement. It doesn't matter if you have 10,000 followers, if they don't care what you're saying. It'd be like if you were standing in front of a crowd and you were on a stage and you had something important to say, but you had 10,000 people in front of you and only 100 of them cared at all about what you said. The others are going to be just noisy and having conversations that have nothing to do with what you're saying and are, they're just going to kind of block the way for the people who actually do care about what you're saying. So I would much rather you had a smaller audience of people who were really tuned in to you and connected with you and really um loved to hear you talk and hear your point of view and valued that than having more followers. But that being said, it is important to get your stuff in front of new people. I would be a fool if I sat here and said that it's not important to have a way to attract people to your content and to your products and to your offers. So it is important to be constantly thinking of ways to connect with the right people. But that doesn't always mean getting more followers. Um, alright. This is a, this question is kind of a long one, but very good. So this person said, I'm finding that I have many people who hang on to my every word. But when it comes to actually enrolling in my course, they don't want to invest. I actually had someone yell at me once for not making it free. I don't over teach anymore. My messaging and funnels are on point. My engagement is high, but it seems teachers are totally willing to invest in something like a product or supplies in their classroom, like short-term fixes, but they're very hesitant to invest in long-term fixes, even when I offer to take payments from schools. And how do you get over that hurdle? So there's lots of pieces here, right? Um, The first is that if they're hanging on your every word, you know that what you're saying is of value. What you're noticing is that they're just not placing a value on that knowledge as far as paying for it themselves. So there's a couple ways to work through this. First of all, it's in pointing out to them that short-term fixes don't work, right? Oftentimes as teachers, we are, I mean all the time we are busy so we're looking for a quick fix a lot of the time those longer commitments to learning what we need to learn to build a foundation in a in an idea is much harder than just printing something off and feeling like we accomplished something we having having like a kind of a quick win however we know and all of your teachers probably know that the long-term solution and really learning about your whatever concepts it is that you teach is more valuable. They know that. They just need to be reminded. So in your marketing, you're going to want to point that out. You're going to want to say to them, hey, these short-term fixes are fun and they might get you through the week, but what you really need is to like sit down and watch this content and figure out the why behind this so that you can implement it this year and every year. It's really about communicating that to them first. And then second is we've got a, a major problem with the fact that um, schools, taking payments from schools, and um, I'll talk about this in the next episode of the podcast and my solution for this, but um, it's very hard for us as independent online business owners to figure out ways to work with schools, right? So um, making that easier on your teachers is the solution. So helping them, um, you can offer to take payments from schools. Sure, that's one thing. But what about like really facilitating that for them, giving them a PDF that they can print and give to their admin to give them more information about your course, giving them options or, or like maybe a letter they could write to their admin to ask for your course. Just make it really, really simple for them to take to um, get funding and give them different and creative ideas, because of course, not all schools are going to be able to fund something like that. So in this way, we just have to get kind of creative and help our ideal audience do that as well. But I think you're right that your uh, knowledge is worthwhile. And I definitely, even if somebody yelled at you, don't think you should give it away for free, because you deserve to be paid for your skills, experiences, stories, knowledge, coaching, etc., And most people will be more than willing to find a way to pay you for that. Next question, how do you know when your ideas are good enough for a course? Oh, I love this. Your ideas are good enough for a course. You don't have to wait until you have a certain amount of expertise. You don't have to get any sort of certification. You don't need a certain amount of years under your belt for teaching. If you have your own unique experiences, ideas, stories, methods, Uh, Maybe you've researched and read a lot about different methods around one topic and you've kind of combined them to figure out your own strategy and added your own experiences. And then you have enough of an idea to put together a knowledge product. And um, it's just about really figuring out, you know, because what can be really easy when you're creating a course is to just look at something that someone else has put out into the world, whether that is like a book you read or another course you noticed or something, and sort of try to just like reframe that and make it your own. But what I want you to do is really like put all of that aside and come up with your own method. What is the way that you would do this? If you, let's say it was about podcast, I always talk about teaching kids how to podcast. So if, if I wanted to create a course on teaching kids how to podcast, I would need to put aside everything that I've read about that for a minute. You know, I've developed my own body of knowledge around this. So instead of trying to do it the way that someone else would do it, I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to think, okay, if I had a teacher in front of me right now that wanted to podcast with her kids, what would I tell her to do from start to finish and what would that look like? And that's where you start to begin to pull your ideas together into a method that you can teach in a course that is uncopyable and unshakable and will really help people who take your course. Again, hint, hint, we'll talk more about that next time. If you are thinking about developing a course, by the way, I have a private podcast coming up for you, um, specifically for you to take your idea that's living in your head and map that out into a method that you can then turn into a course and get launched in just 12 weeks. And so I have a private podcast that I'm putting together for you on that. And you can go to alissamcdonald.com slash course creator to listen to that private podcast where I'm going to help you figure out how to turn your idea into an online course. Okay. Um, Next question. How do you set boundaries in a membership program? Oh, I love this one. When you have a membership, um, that means you are facilitating a community. And that is a really tough role, as you know, as a teacher. Like, it is tough to facilitate a community and not feel the need to constantly be in control of every conversation and every, you know, answer and every little bit of that community. Facilitating means stepping back and letting your community members take ownership. But sometimes in a membership, when your community members are taking ownership, and this is the same in a classroom, right? You can feel like your boundaries are being pushed and you're being tested. And it's not because your members are trying to take advantage of you, but it's just because it's just the nature of the community. They want to push the boundaries a bit so that they can see what what is the expectation here. It's like the same with kids. It's like, we need to build the fence so that they know, how to, um, they can kind of flourish inside the fence. And so setting the fence in an online membership looks like setting up rules and expectations. And those are two completely different things, by the way. So when you have a membership, you want to have a set of rules. And the rules are very black and white. Anyone could enforce them. You know, it could, doesn't just have to be you. It could be a community manager. They are black and white. There is no question we, we allow this. We do not allow this. And so you definitely want to have those set up in your community so that it is a safe space for all. And there are some very set rules. And then you will also want to have a set of expectations, which is more like, what are we expected to do in this community? What is going to happen if I ask a question? What if I need help from Alyssa? So in my membership, uh, you know, you tag me if you need help and I check the tag questions first, but I check for 20 minutes a night, three nights a week. So it might be a minute before I get to it. Those are the expectations. these are the things that you can expect here, and kind of like the best practices or the way we we do things here and just like with a classroom, you need both right and so in an online membership um, program, you need both and then you need to stick to them and you need to enforce them or you know that fence is going to come falling down. So just make sure that those rules and expectations are clear. Don't be afraid to revise them and change them to ask your community members, you know, for their opinion on what this should look like and then to just build your community around that. Okay, we've got three more questions. The next one is, when do you know it's time to let go of a product? This is a really interesting question. So this person means like, if a product or an offer is not selling well, when do I let it go? I think there are lots and lots and lots of factors to look into before we say that product was terrible and I'm going to get rid of it. So let's say you developed a course and you launched it like two, three times and nobody purchased it. So there's a couple of things, kind of like questions you've got to run through. First of all, did the right people see it? Because if not enough or not the right people saw it, then we don't know if that idea was good or not. Um is your messaging right? Maybe they saw what you had to offer, but you weren't saying what they needed to hear. Messaging is huge. Maybe thinking them through, um, have there been people who have used this program and have gotten results? If they have, then I don't think you should let that product go. I think you should just find a better way to communicate how valuable that is. You probably just need to shift your offer a bit, which means you either need to give them a smaller portion of what you're offering, like maybe they were overwhelmed by what you put out there, or maybe you need to give it a new title or a new messaging. Or maybe you need to take a look at the price point. And could you offer if, I'm not saying take the price point down necessarily, but maybe could you offer different ways to get there? Does it need a payment plan or some other supportive structure? Um, ask your people, find out what are they looking for? What do they need? After you launch and it wasn't successful, if you were in communication with people during your launch, ask them what happened, why didn't you buy? I'm curious about if this product is something that the teachers need and people will respond and those might be hard to hear but that's all part of the process of understanding what's the best way to get this product out to the world next question best french fry you memory and i love this question um so there are a couple of local places that have duck fat fries and by far those are my favorite i don't know why they're just they're very good your most proud business accomplishment this is the last question and my favorite question but my most proud business accomplishment isn't really anything I guess like I accomplished, but by accident created, which is my membership community. It's just a community of the most amazing teachers and they, hearing their wins gives me goosebumps and watching them grow um, has been amazing and growing alongside them because I'm still growing too. It's been just an honor and I love working with them and I Just adore all of them, and I love following along with their businesses and their stories and seeing what vision board items they're crossing off their list. So I am most proud of the community. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this interview with me interviewing myself. It felt a little bit like selfish and weird, but anyway, I hope you liked it. I hope you found at least a nugget of information that was helpful. And I hope to see you again here at the Teacher Hustle podcast in February. We've got a couple of great episodes coming up for you. And so don't forget to download your January magazine at alyssamcdonaldcom slash magazine to get your printable copy of everything you heard here. And also don't forget to register for that secret podcast also coming in February. That is at alyssamcdonaldcom slash course creator. If you've been thinking about creating a course, you're definitely going to want to add that private podcast to your feed. Okay, see you in the next episode. Don't forget to DM me, Teacher by teacherbynaptime on Instagram with your listener questions so that I can answer them on the next podcast. And of course, please review this podcast. We so appreciate every review. We will be reading some of the reviews out loud in episodes this season. And so we really need you to please snap a photo, share, review, whatever you can do to spread the word. If you have a teacher friend who's looking to start an online business or grow their online business, please share this podcast with with them if you think we will find it helpful hope to see you in the next episode and i hope you enjoy this new format of season three